Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, another story from one of my favorite and newly discovered writers, Robert Barr. This story titled, A Society for the Reformation of Poker Players. O unseen hand that ever makes and deals us, and plays our game, that now obscures and then to light reveals us, Serves blanks of fame. How vain our shuffling, bluff and weak pretending. Tis thou alone can name the final ending. The seductive game of poker is one that I do not understand. I do not care to understand it, because it cannot be played without the putting up of a good deal of the coin of the realm. And although I have nothing to say against betting, my own theory of conduct in the matter is this that I want no man's money which I do not earn, and I do not want any man to get my money unless he earns it. So what happens in the matter of cards? I content myself with euchre and other games which do not require the waging of money. On board the Atlantic steamers there is always more or less gambling. I have heard it said that men make trips to and fro merely for the purpose of fleecing their fellow passengers, but, except in one instance, I never had any experience with this sort of thing. Our little society for the reformation of poker players, or to speak more correctly, for the reformation of one particular poker player, was formed one bright starlit night, latitude such a number, and longitude something else, as four of us sat on a seat at the extreme rear end of the great steamer. We four, with one other, sat at a small table in the saloon, one of the small tables on a transatlantic steamer is very pleasant if you have a nice crowd with you. A seat at a small table compares with a seat at the large table, as living in a village compares with living in a city. You have some individuality at the short table. You're merely one of a crowd at the long table. Our small table was not quite full. I had the honor of sitting at the head of it, and on each side of me were two young fellows, making five altogether. We all rather prided ourselves on the fact that there were no ladies at our little table. The young Englishman who sat at my right hand at the corner of the table was going out to America to learn farming. I could, myself, have taught him a good deal about it, but I refrained from throwing cold water on his enthusiastic ideas about American agriculture. His notion was that it was an occupation mostly made up of hunting and fishing, and having a good time generally. The prophets, he thought, were large and easily acquired. He had guns with him, and beautiful fishing rods, and things of that sort. He even had a vague idea that he might be able to introduce fox hunting in the rural district to which he was going. He understood, and regretted the fact, that we in the United States were rather behindhand in the matter of fox hunting. He had a good deal of money with him, I understood, and he had already paid a hundred pounds to a firm in England that had agreed to place him on a farm in America. Of course, now that the money had been paid, there was no use in telling the young man he'd been a fool. He would find that out soon enough when he got to America. Henry Storm was his name, and a milder-mannered man with a more unsuitable name could hardly be found. The first two or three days out, he was the life of our party. We all liked him. In fact, Nobody could help liking him, but, as the voyage progressed, he grew more and more melancholy, and, what was really serious, took little food, which is not natural in an Englishman. 
I thought somebody had been telling him what a fool he'd been to pay away his hundred pounds before leaving England. But young Smith of Rochester, who sat at my left, told me what the trouble was one day as we walked the deck. "'Do you know,' he began, "'that Henry Storm is being robbed?' "'Being robbed?' I answered. "'You mean he has been robbed?' "'Well, has been, and is being, too. "'The thing is going on yet. "'He is playing altogether too much poker in the smoking room "'and has lost a pile of money, "'more, I imagine, than he can well afford.' "'That's what's the trouble with him, is it? "'Well, he ought to know better than to play for bigger stakes "'than he can afford to lose.' "'Oh, it's easy to say that, but he's in the hands of a swindler, "'of a professional gambler. "'You see that man?' "'He lowered his voice as he spoke, "'and I looked in the direction of his glance. "'By this time we knew, in a way, everybody on board the ship. "'The particular man Smith pointed out was a fellow I had noticed a good deal.' "'who was very quiet and gentlemanly, "'interfering with nobody and talking with few. "'I had spoken to him once, "'but he had answered rather shortly, "'and, apparently to his relief, "'and certainly to my own, "'our acquaintance ceased where it began. "'He had jet-black beard and hair, "'both rather closely clipped, "'and he wore a fore-and-aft cap, "'which never improves a man's appearance very much. "'That man,' continued Smith, "'as he passed us, "'was practically under arrest for gambling "'on the steamer in which I came over. "'It seems that he is a regular professional gambler "'who does nothing but go across the ocean and back again, "'fleecing young fellows like Storm.' "'Does he cheat?' I asked. "'He doesn't need to. "'He plays poker, an old hand, and a cool one. "'He has no occasion to cheat at that game "'to get a young one's money away from him.' "'Then why doesn't someone warn young Storm?' "'Well, that's just what I wanted to speak to you about. "'I think it ought to be done. "'I think we should call a meeting at our table, "'somewhere out here in the quiet, "'and have a talk over it, "'and make up our mind what is to be done. "'It's a delicate matter, you know, "'and I'm afraid we're a little late as it is. "'I do believe young Storm has lost nearly all his money to that fellow.' "'Can't he be made to disgorge?' "'How? "'The money's been won fairly enough.' "'as that sort of thing goes. "'Other fellows have played with them. "'It isn't as if he'd been caught cheating. "'He hasn't, and won't be. "'He doesn't cheat. "'He doesn't need to, as I said before. "'Now that gambler pretends "'he's a commercial traveler from Buffalo. "'I know Buffalo down to the ground, "'so I took him aside yesterday "'and said plumply to him, "'What firm in Buffalo do you represent?' "'He answered shortly that his business "'was his own affair. "'I said, "'Certainly it is, and you are quite right in keeping it dark. "'When I was coming over to Europe, "'I saw a man in your line of business who looked very much like you, "'practically put under arrest by the purser for gambling. "'You were traveling for a St. Louis house then.' "'What did he say to that?' "'Nothing. He just gave me one of those sly, sinister looks of his, "'turned on his heel, and left. "'The result of this conversation was the inauguration of the Society for the Reforming of a Poker Player. It was agreed between us that if young Storm had lost all his money, we would subscribe enough as a loan to take care of him until he got a remittance from home. Of course, we knew that any young fellow who goes out to America to begin farming does not, as a general rule, leave people in England exceedingly well off, and probably this fact, more than any other, 
accounted for the remorse visible on Storm's countenance. We knew quite well that the offering of money to him would be a very delicate matter, but it was agreed that Smith should take this in hand if we saw the offer was necessary. Then I, as the man who sat at the head of the table, was selected to speak to young Storm, and, if possible, get him to abandon poker. I knew this was a somewhat impudent piece of business on my part, and so I took that evening to determine how best to perform the task set for me. I resolved to walk the deck with him in the morning, and have a frank talk over the matter. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to A Society for the Reformation of Poker Players, by Robert Barr. When the morning came, I took young Storm's arm and walked two or three turns up and down the deck, but all the while I could not get up courage enough to speak with him in relation to gambling. When he left me, I again thought over the matter. I concluded to go into the smoking room myself, sit down beside him, see him lose some money, and use that fact as a test for my coming discourse on the evils of gambling. After luncheon I strolled into the smoking room, and there sat this dark-faced man with his half-closed eyes opposite young Storm, while two others made up the four-handed game of poker. Storm's face was very pale, and his lips seemed dry, for he moistened them every now and then as the game went on. He was sitting on the sofa, and I sat down beside him, paying no heed to the dark gambler's look of annoyance. However, the alleged buffalo man said nothing, for he was not a person who did much talking. Storm paid no attention to me as I sat down beside him. The gambler had just dealt. It was very interesting to see the way he looked at his hand. He allowed merely the edges of the cards to show over each other, and then closed up his hand and seemed to know just what he had. When young Storm looked at his hand, he gave a sort of a gasp, and for the first time cast his eyes upon me. I had seen his hand, but did not know whether it was a good one or not. I imagined it was not very good, because all the cards were of a low denomination. Threes or fours, I think, but four of the cards had a like number of spots. There was some money in the center of the table. Storm pushed a half-crown in front of him, and the next man did the same. The gambler put down a half-sovereign, and the man at his left, after a moment's hesitation, shoved out an equal amount from the pile of gold in front of him. Young Storm pushed out a sovereign. "'I'm out,' said the man whose next bet it was, throwing down his cards. The gambler raised it a sovereign, and the man at his left dropped out. It now rested between Storm and the gambler. Storm increased the bet a sovereign. The gambler then put on a five-pound note. Storm said to me huskily, "'Have you any money?' "'Yes,' I answered him. "'Lend me five pounds if you can.' Now, the object of my being there was to stop gambling, not to encourage it. I was the president pro tem of the Society for the Reformation of Poker Players. Yet, I dived into my pocket, pulled out my purse under the table, and slipped a five-pound note into his hand. He put that on the table as if he had just taken it from his own pocket. "'I call you,' he said. "'What have you got?' asked the gambler. Four fours, said Storm, putting down his hand. 
"'the gambler closed up his "'and threw the cards over to the man who was the deal. "'Storm paused a moment "'and then pulled towards him the money in the centre of the table "'and handed me back my five-pound note. "'When the cards were next dealt, "'Storm seemed to have rather an ordinary hand, "'so apparently had all the rest, "'and there was not much money in the pot. "'But poor as Storm's hand was, "'the rest appeared to be poorer, "'and he raked in the cash again.' This went on for two or three deals, and finding that, as Storm was winning all the time, although not heavily, I was not getting an object lesson against gambling. I made a move to go. "'Stay where you are,' whispered Storm to me, pinching my knee with his hand so hard that I almost cried out. Then it came to the gambler's turn to deal again. All the time he deftly shuffled the cards he watched the players with that furtive glance of his from out of his half-shut eyes. Storm's hand was a remarkable one, after he had drawn two cards, but I did not know whether it had any special value or not. The other players drew three cards each, and the gambler took one. "'How much money have you got?' whispered Storm to me. "'I don't know,' I said. "'Perhaps a hundred pounds.' "'Be prepared to lend me every penny of it.' "'he whispered. "'I said nothing, "'but I never knew the president of a society "'for the suppression of gambling "'to be in such a predicament. "'Storm bet a sovereign. "'The player to his left threw down his hand. "'The gambler pushed out two sovereigns. "'The other player went out. "'Storm said, "'I'll see you bet, "'and raise you another sovereign.' "'The gambler, without saying a word, "'shoved forward some more gold. "'Get your money ready,' "'whispered Storm.' I did not quite like his tone, but I made allowance for the excitement under which he was evidently laboring. He threw on a five-pound note. The gambler put down another five-pound note, and then, as if it were the slightest thing possible, put a ten-pound note on top of that, which made the side players gasp. Storm had won sufficient to cover the bet and raise it. After that I had to feed into him five-pound notes, keeping count of their number on my fingers as I did so. The first to begin to hesitate about putting money forward was the gambler. He shot a glance now and again from under his eyebrows at the young man opposite. Finally, when my last five-pound note had been thrown on the pile, the gambler spoke for the first time. "'I call you,' he said. "'Put down another five-pound note,' cried the young man. "'I have called you,' said the gambler. Henry Storm half rose from his seat in his excitement. "'Put down another five-pound note, if you dare.' "'That isn't poker,' said the gambler. "'I have called you. What have you got?' "'Put down another five-pound note, and I'll put a ten-pound note on top of it.' "'I'll tell you again. That isn't poker. You have been called. What have you got?' "'I'll bet you twenty pounds against your five-pound note, if you dare put it down.' By this time Storm was standing up. "'quivering with excitement, his cards tightly clenched in his hand. "'The gambler sat opposite him, calm and imperturbable. "'What have you got?' said Storm. "'I called you,' said the gambler. "'Show your hand.' "'Yes, but when I called you, you asked me what I had, and I told you. "'What have you got?' "'I am not afraid to show my hand,' said the gambler, "'and he put down on the table.' Four aces. "'There's the king of hearts,' said Storm, 
putting it down on the table. There's the queen of hearts. There's the knave of hearts. There's the ten of hearts. Now, he cried, waving his other card in the air. Can you tell me what this card is? I'm sure I don't know, answered the gambler quietly. Probably the nine of hearts. It is the nine of hearts, shouted Storm, placing it down beside the others. The gambler quietly picked up the cards and handed them to the man who was to deal. Storm's hands were trembling with excitement as he pulled the pile of banknotes and gold towards him. He counted out what I had given him and passed it to me under the table. The rest he thrust into his pocket. Come, I said. It's time to go. Don't push your luck. Another five pounds, he whispered. Sit where you are. Nonsense, I said. Another five pounds will certainly mean that you lose, and you'll lose everything you've won. Come away. I want to talk with you now. Another five pounds. I've sworn it. Very well. I shall not stay here any longer. No, no, he cried eagerly. Sit where you are. There was a grim, thin smile on the lips of the gambler as this whispered conversation took place. When the next hand was dealt around and Storm looked at his cards, he gave another gasp of delight. I thought that a poker player should not be so free with his emotions, but of course I said nothing. When it came his time to bet, he planked down a five-pound note on the table. The other two, as was usual, folded their cards. They were evidently very timorous players. The gambler hesitated for a second. Then he put a ten-pound note on Storm's five pounds. Storm at once saw him and raised him ten. The gambler hesitated longer this time. But at last he said, I shall not bet. What have you got? Do you call me? asked Storm. Put up your money if you do. "'No, I do not call you.' Storm laughed and threw his cards face up on the table. "'I have nothing,' he said. "'I have bluffed you for once.' "'It is very often done,' answered the gambler, quietly, as Storm drew in his pile of money, stuffing it again in his coat pocket. "'Your deal, Storm.' "'No, sir,' said the young man, rising up. "'I'll never touch a poker hand again.' I've got my own money back and five or ten pounds over. I know when I've had enough. Although it was Storm's deal, the gambler had the pack of cards in his hand, idly shuffling them to and fro. I have often heard, he said slowly, without raising his eyes, that when one fool sits down beside another fool at poker, the player has the luck of two fools. But I'd never believed it until now. Thanks for joining us for this great gambling story. And for all of you out there who have played poker, I know that most of you do believe in beginner's luck because you've experienced it. It really does exist. This is the first time I'd heard of two fools sitting side by side. It's definitely an enjoyable story, as are many of Robert Barr's stories, most of which take place on steamers, by the way. Thanks for joining us for this one. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Hope you enjoyed it. As you well know by now, we release new short stories every Wednesday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at noon. Thanks for joining us today. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon.